listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for April 4th, 2021, Easter Day. Today's sermon was given by the Rev. Peter Walsh. Oh, what a year it has been. Last year I preached that sermon, Happy Weird Easter, about how weird it was to be celebrating Easter with nobody in church and, of course, just how weird the resurrection is. And this year all I hear is I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and it is the vaccine. And I can see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's summer vacation. I'm here to say that the ultimate light at the end of the tunnel is not the vaccine and it's not summer vacation, but it is the divine light of the living, resurrected, exalted, and glorified Christ who is the light of the world. Now, many of you have heard this story before, but I just love this story. It's the story about the, the woman who literally saw Jesus as the light at the end of the tunnel, and it, it happened to me half a lifetime ago. I was sitting in an advertising agency uh, in Lower Fifth Avenue, New York, with my coffee cup from the Greek deli with the Pantheon on it, and I opened up the newspaper and I read this story about this young woman who was 19 years old. She lived in suburban London, and she had gotten sick and her parents brought her to the hospital and she went from bad to worse and eventually to the intensive care unit. And there in the intensive care unit, she experienced herself dying and her soul separated from its body and she looked down upon that room and her parents were grieving and the doctor was shuffling around uncomfortably and the heart monitor had stopped. And she entered into this darkness and in the darkness there was this, this speck of light in the distance and she traveled toward the light, upward and toward the light, and as she got closer and closer to the light, she began to realize that the light was the light radiating out of Jesus Christ at the top of the tunnel. And her description of what it was like just almost mirrored the transfiguration that took place on Mount Tabor. Jesus' whole being and all of his garments radiated with this divine glow. And you, I mean, you may remember the story of the Transfiguration. We, we do it every year at the end of the season of Epiphany. Do you remember the descriptions? It says that Jesus' face shone like the sun and that his garments were white as light. They were dazzling white. They were glistening. They were, and this I love, intensely white as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Now, that divine brilliance, uh, which is radiating pure life and is radiating pure love, is coming at this young woman at the tunnel, and the heart of her soul nearly leaps out of her. She feels a surge of light. She feels a surge of love. She feels a, a surge of life, an ecstasy overflowing of which there is no compare. And like metal to a magnet, she begins to spring toward Jesus. And he holds out his hand and says, no, don't touch me. He says, you cannot stay. She begs him to stay. And he says, no, I have something I want you to do. And she begs him to stay. And he says, no, I have something I want you to do. And she goes back down that long, dark tunnel and back into her body. And three days later, she's home uh, in suburban London, feeling just fine, wondering what her calling is. The resurrection of Jesus is cosmic in consequence. It is universal in scope, and yet 
it is always personal and personalized. I mean, just take a look at the stories of the resurrected Jesus, for people who come in touch with the resurrected Jesus. I mean, that woman at the end of the long tunnel, right? Jesus not only knew who she was, he had something he wanted her to do. And then take a look at the stories of the resurrection in John's gospel, right? So we just read, Father Justin just read to us that incredible, uh, mysterious, and weird story of Mary at the tomb, right? And uh, she sees Jesus. She doesn't know that it is Jesus. She thinks that he is the gardener or perhaps a grave thief, which was common in those days. And Jesus says to her, whom do you seek? And she says, basically, just give him to me, right? And then he says, Mary. And she knows, she knows it's her Lord, right? And is there anything more personal and personalized than your name? And then she says to him, Rabboni, which means teacher in Hebrew, right? But this Rabboni is not the Rabboni that was first referred to Jesus earlier in the gospel. This means something like, my great one in whom I experience God. So you might notice, if you don't mind my saying, you notice that Jesus said, don't touch me. It's just like that woman at the top of the tunnel. Don't touch me. I, I have absolutely no idea what that's all about, but perhaps when I see Jesus, I'm going to ask him on that one. So later in the evening, we know these stories. Later in the evening, the disciples are hidden behind a closed door out of fear. Jesus, who's not bound by time or space or materiality, appears amongst them. And what's the first thing he says but, peace be with you? What is the one thing they don't have? Peace, right? They are gathered for fear. He breathes his spirit upon them and says again, peace be with you. We also know that story about so-called doubting Thomas, Thomas the twin, who says, unless I see that, that in his hands, you know, the print of those nails, and I can put my finger in those marks, unless I can stick my hand in the side where he was poked by the spear of the centurion on the cross, I will not believe. Eight days later, the disciples are still behind a closed door. Jesus appears amongst them. Peace be with you. Goes right to Thomas. And what does he say? Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. He gives Thomas exactly what Thomas asked for in order to believe. Now, as you know, the last, go the last chapter in John's Gospel, the disciples have gone back to their homes and they're up in the Galilee, what is known as the Sea of Tiberias in John's Gospel. And remember that many of them are fishermen, this we all know. And Peter says, you know, let's go fishing. And so they go out fishing at night, they catch no fish. Then it says, just as day was breaking, in other words, just as the new light is coming, Jesus stood on the beach, and yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus at first, right? And he does that whole thing about put your nets on the other side, and they catch all these fish. And it is the beloved disciple, John, who always in John's gospel gets it, right? It's, it's not Peter who gets it. It's always John. And he says, it is the Lord. And then 
I love this sentence. When Simon Peter heard, heard that it was the Lord, he put on his clothes, for he was stripped for work, and he sprang into the sea. Remember, at nighttime, the men would wear loincloths in the heat to do their fishing. So he puts on his clothes, he springs into the sea, and he comes to the waters, to the water's edge. And there, what is happening? Well, Jesus has a fire going. He's making breakfast for the disciples. Pretty personal. It then says that none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, where they knew it was the Lord. I love that. They are awed into silence sitting around the fire. And then Jesus does something so poignantly personal for Peter, right? Remember the last time that Jesus and Peter were together, it was at the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, the ultimate authority, right? And Peter denied knowing Jesus three times, right? I know not the man. And then in the middle of the night, long before a rooster would crow, the cock crows the guilty verdict. And Peter is, he is crushed by guilt. He is crushed by this guilt. It says in Mark's gospel that he broke down and wept. So now here they are gathered around the fire and Jesus has asked that they bring some of the fish that they have just caught. And in the silence, for it is silent, he speaks to Peter and he calls him Simon, son of John. He does not call him Peter. Remember, Peter is the nickname that Jesus has given him, meaning the rock. Well, Peter has not felt like the rock for some time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then a third time, Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? This is like a knife to the heart of Peter. He is anguished that Jesus has had to ask him three times, do you love me? But that knife is a scalpel in which Peter is going to have removed from him that overwhelming guilt that he cannot live with. Jesus knows that Peter loves him, but Peter doesn't know that. Jesus is doing this for Peter. He removes Peter's guilt, and Peter says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And with that third I love you, their relationship is reset. It is whole, and it is holy again. It is so personal and so personalized. Now, we all know that the resurrected Christ is not bound by time or by space or by materiality, right? And he is closer than the light at the end of the tunnel, and he is closer than summer vacation. Remember, just before the ascension on the Mount of Olives, do you remember Jesus said, I will be with you even unto the end of time. So how might we imagine that with our spiritual imaginations? A few weeks ago, I spoke with the former presiding bishop, Frank Griswold, and I said to him, 
what do you think happens after you die? And he said to me that the communion of saints, those who have died and live in the heavenly realms, feel very, very close to him. He said, they're very real to me and very alive. It's just that they're in a different dimension, close as they are. Because they're in a different dimension, I cannot experience them in the same way as I did when we lived together. He said, it's not as though I don't experience them in some ways. I dream about them, I think about them. And yesterday I spoke with a, a person in our congregation whose husband died and they had been married for years and years and years and gotten together when they were 16 years old. And I asked how she was doing. She said, I feel his presence. I know that sounds totally weird, but I feel his presence. So perhaps when we think of Jesus, we might think of him present to us, but just in a different dimension. See, the big deal about the resurrection is not that with our spiritual imaginations we can look upon the light of Christ, but that from the spiritual dimension, the light of Christ looks upon each of us in a way that is personal and personalized to who each of us is. So perhaps while I'm speaking, you might take a moment and look upon the light of the resurrected Christ looking at you and see if you can use your spiritual imagination and look into that divine radiance that is bursting with life and love. And see if you can look into Jesus's face as though it were shining like the sun. And look at his garments, radiant and white as light, dazzling, glistening and glowing, right? brighter than any fuller on earth could bleach them. Now look at him looking at you. See his eyes seeing into your soul, into the deepest parts of you, the parts and places that you tell nobody about. And see if you can feel his presence in that deepest spot. I don't know, maybe you were like the woman in the tunnel and perhaps you might ask the Lord if there is something that he wants you to do. Or maybe you are like Mary the seeker. Your heart longs for Jesus. You ache for him and you ache for the sense of distance in absence. Perhaps you might ask him to call out your name. Or maybe you are like the disciples and you are locked in fear. Some terrible thing is happening in your life. And perhaps you might invite Jesus to come into your closed and dark space and to say, peace be with you. Or perhaps, maybe you're like Thomas. You want to believe, you just can't believe. It's just way too far-fetched. And so perhaps right now you could articulate what it would take for you to believe. And then maybe set your clock for eight days and see if anything happens. See if you get a response. Or maybe you're like Peter. You love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. 
but you have a lingering guilt that somehow you have denied your Lord or you have let your Lord down. Perhaps what you might do is go home and have breakfast with him and let him say to you three times, do you love me? Perhaps what you need is to say, I love you. I love you. Lord, you know everything. I love you. The Lord desires that your relationship might be whole and holy, that it might be personal, that it might be deeper, that it might be loving, right? For Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is risen today, and he desires to be in communion with you. So happy I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Easter, or perhaps better said, happy the divine light at the end of the end of the tunnel can see you Easter. find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.